0: Hey, friends and fam, it's John, and it's time for the cast for Monday, January 9th. What's going on? How are you? Hope you've had a great week. Mine's been all right. I did have to take care of my uh, son dealing with uh, diarrhea, I suppose. He did do some puking as well. I believe it was like Thursday night, just before bed. I was going to put him down, and as we're going up the stairs to his bedroom, he did a large puke on the steps. And then uh, we had to rush him downstairs to the bathroom. Uh, Luckily, he made it with only a little bit more coming out on the floor before we reached the toilet and the rest of it was expelled in there. Luckily, it didn't seem to last too long. In like a day and a half, it was pretty much done. So thank goodness for that. The rest of the week's been okay. So I've decided to start... A Substack, if you don't know what that is, it's basically a platform for writers to publish their newsletters and such. And, you know, subscribers can sign up to the newsletters for a variety of topics. You might have already signed up for a bunch of other people's Substacks. Now, Jmart is starting a Substack. It's going to be related to health, fitness, uh, life, being a dad, Bitcoin a little bit as well. And so, to start off this new adventure on Substack, I decided to write about, do a little bit of an autobiography on who I am, what I've been through, just to give readers an idea of what kind of a person I am and why you should trust the things that I write about, why you should read about the things that I write about if it's interesting to you. And so, I'd like to share just a couple pages of what I've written so far of my autobiography, and it's going to continue a little bit longer still. This is only covering the first eight years of my life, really, in just two pages. So yeah, let me know what you think. Let me know if you've liked it. Let me know if you've subscribed to the Substack, and let's start. So this is going to be my first post on my Substack, which should be jmartfit.substack.com. And it's titled, Who is Jmart? Hello and welcome. I am John Martirosian, or Jmart for short. I'm starting a blog, so I thought it would be appropriate to write a short autobiography to give readers a better understanding of who I am, where I come from, what I think about, and why I think those things. You can think of me as Jmart, but when I was born in the fall of 1988 in Yerevan, the capital city of Armenia, my parents named me Hovanes. I only adopted John in the year 2000 after moving to Canada, while j is a nickname my friend gave me less than a decade ago. Late 80s and early 90s was a calamitous time in Armenia, marked by a large earthquake 100 kilometers north of the capital just months after I was born, which caused widespread destruction and resulted in the deaths of more than 25,000 people. Many buildings, including schools, hospitals, and homes, were destroyed, and hundreds of thousands of people were left homeless. Geopolitically, 1991 saw the collapse of the Soviet government and the emergence of several independent states from the former Soviet Union. Armenia was one of the first republics to declare and be recognized as an independent state by the international community less than a month after my third birthday. Any celebration post-independence though was cut short as Armenia got involved in a full-scale war with Azerbaijan over the disputed region of Artsakh. The conflict had begun in the late 1980s when the Armenian majority population of Artsakh, an autonomous region within Azerbaijan, began calling for unification with Armenia. As the Soviet Union was collapsing, The vacuum of power triggered the escalation into full-scale war in 1991, which lasted until a ceasefire was signed in 1994, a few months before I turned six. The war resulted in the deaths of thousands of people and the displacement of many more. The conflict has not been fully resolved, and tensions between Armenia and Azerbaijan continue to this day. Fortunately, I was safe from the war effort as I was physically far away from the fighting and too young to be drafted. Additionally, my family was also spared any disruption as neither my father nor any other male figures were drafted. However, nobody fully escapes the effects of war. As Armenia was undergoing significant economic and political challenges... Access to basic services such as water and electricity was intermittent for many people in Armenia, including my family, during this time, as resources were stretched thin and infrastructure was damaged or in disrepair. I remember when the lights would come on, my baby brother, approximately three and a half years younger, would let out a joyful cry of ABBA and clapped his hands excitedly, his face lighting up with delight. Armenia was also experiencing high inflation and unemployment and a significant decline in the living standards as many people struggled to make ends meet. While my parents did everything they could to provide all that my brother and I would need, I certainly wasn't fooled about our financial situation even from a young age. My earliest memories from childhood are from when my family of four lived in a small one-room apartment in Yerevan. Which would nowadays in Canada be marketed as a bachelor or studio apartment unfit for so many people. It's difficult to comprehend how on earth my parents raised two small kids in such a cramped space, especially compared to my current situation with my wife, where we have a spacious, detached home for our two small children. Personal space was not something I had as a kid, as my brother and I shared a bed and often fell asleep with the TV still on just a few feet away from us. Despite the lack of personal space or material possessions, I was rich in love for my large extended family, particularly my mother's side with her five sisters. Through shared experiences of playing, learning, and sometimes fighting with my younger and older cousins, I formed close bonds with them. I also spent a lot of time with my grandparents, as my mom's parents and her father's parents, my great-grandparents, were heavily involved in my upbringing. One of my fondest childhood memories is of my great-grandfather Sarkis, who would often have a large group of cousins, around six or seven of us, gathered around him as he told us thrilling fables with moral lessons by heart. Without hesitation, he would start a completely different fable immediately after finishing the first one, as the kids begged for more stories. Not only did my great-grandfather shape my love of storytelling and my ability to listen attentively, but he also set an example of healthy aging, as he lived to 98 years old. He remained active until the last year of his life, walking several kilometers every day to meet with other seniors at a park to play chess. Even in his late 90s, he remained in good health until experiencing a significant decline only in the final weeks of his life. His example of healthy aging will always serve as a reminder to take care of my own physical and mental well-being in order to live a long and fulfilling life. School-wise, my memory does not go far back into the kindergarten years, One of the few things I do remember from that time is of the dedicated nap time that we had starting at noon in kindergarten. I despise this time because I never seemed to be able to fall asleep due to my excess energy and general dislike of napping. I began grade school at age seven and immediately started learning to read and write in Armenian and Russian. English instruction started in second grade. One major difference between my schooling in Armenia and what I discovered is not common practice in Canada was the emphasis on memorization. I spent so many hours in the evenings memorizing long poems that I would have to recite in front of the entire class and teacher. However, schooling in Armenia did not last long, as midway through second grade, my family moved away from Armenia for good. The place we were headed was Kiev, Ukraine. There you go. That's it for now. Finishing off on a little bit of a cliffhanger as uh, I moved on to or my family moved away from Armenia to Ukraine. I'll write a little bit more about that and my time in Russia as well for the next week's post on my Substack. So please be sure to subscribe to it and please share it with other people who might be interested in reading it. Thank you so much. So. Moving on with the podcast, last week I mentioned that I got this sweet present from a gift exchange that is a calendar for the year of 2023 that has Shakespearean insults for every day of the week. I promised that I would find some of the best insults from the calendar and share it on the podcast. So here we go. My favorite one (laughs) from last week was... The insult from Othello, which was for last week's, for Tuesday last week, for January 3rd. And so the insult from Shakespeare's Othello is, Fie, fie upon thee, trumpet." So I did not know what fie meant. So I did a quick Google search of fie meaning. And the definition that I see here, it says, Fie is used to express disgust. ...or outrage. An example they give here is... ...if people don't answer your first letter... fi on them. (laughs) So disgust or outrage on them. I don't know. So fi fi upon the strumpet. I didn't know what strumpet meant. So I Google searched that as well. And turns out... ...didn't know this. Strumpet, the definition is... ...a woman who has many... ...casual sexual encounters... ...or relationships. In other words... A female prostitute. (laughs) So this is a great Shakespearean insult that, you know, can hide under the radar as most people don't really know what fi and strumpet mean. So feel free to yell at people, fi, fi upon the strumpet (laughs) when you've had enough of their BS. (laughs) All right. With that, let's move on to a quick Bitcoin update. We are sitting on block height. 771,004 price of one Bitcoin is trading at 16,928 U.S. dollars. One U.S. dollar will buy you 5,908 Satoshis or SATs for short. Those are the subunits that the smallest subunit that Bitcoin can be broken down into. Bitcoin can be subdivided 100 million times. By the way, if you're living in Canada and you want to purchase Bitcoin, I do have a referral link for a Canadian exchange called ShakePay, which has good user interface and low fees. And if you use my referral link, you will get a $10 reward for the first $100 that you spend. Okay, last week I read an excerpt from Seyfadina Moose's The Fiat Standard about fiat science. This week I'm going to read another S excerpt from the same book. This is from Chapter 10 called Fiat Fuels. One of the most notable consequences of the closing of the gold exchange window in the 1970s was the significant and unprecedented increase in the price of oil. The first significant increase in the costs of energy after centuries of steady decline had immensely improved the lives of people. The economic shock was very significant for Americans whose modern lives were increasingly reliant on high energy consumption, gasoline for cars, and electricity for a growing number of household appliances. Sounds like just like today. People need gas for cars and electricity for all the household appliances that we have now. I'm going to move on, skip ahead a few uh, paragraphs here in Chapter 10 and... Here it says, centuries of human engineering progress and quality of life improvements had been based on channeling hydrocarbons high power, which means high quantities of energy per unit of time, as well as their high energy density per unit of weight, which makes them nature's cheap, powerful, and ubiquitous batteries. But to avoid the rise in oil prices, the US government's fiat sought to ignore half a millennium of technological advancement and build the modern world using pre-modern solar, wind, and biofuel energy. With their low power, low weight density, intermittency, unreliability, and massive bulk, these sources were only ever predominant in primitive societies precariously living on the brink of survival at the mercy of nature with very little in the way of technological progress. Against all logic and reason, the fuels of pre-industrial poverty were designated by government fiat to be the fuels of the industrial future. So basically, we have hundreds of years of technological advancement. We get to a point where we can use hydrocarbons to make civilization more prosperous And then because of going off of the gold standard and going onto a fiat standard, all of a sudden the price of energy is a lot more expensive, and the government response is to deal with that by going to low power, less effective means of generating energy. All right, back to the book. For the first time in history, centrally planning the resources of energy humans use became viewed as a legitimate function of government and it led to the emergence of large industries reliant on government subsidies, mandates, and subsidized credit to operate, while constantly making promises of achieving technical and economic success in a few years. The consequences of this megalomaniacal quest to override the laws of thermodynamics are predictable for anyone familiar with the inevitable fate of all attempts to centrally plan market outcomes. Yet, as is the custom for failed central plans, fiat universities and academics spend little time dwelling on them and those who dare largely ignored. Perhaps the best treatment of the episode comes from Energy Aftermath, a good overview book published in 1990 by Ben Ball, Thomas Lee, and Richard Tabers. Right, so that's what people say these days, right? It's all about wind and solar. We've got to transition our grid to wind and solar so that we can save the planet from whatever climate catastrophe is coming. Yet no one talks about the fact that wind and solar are not reliable, right? There's no energy being produced when there's no sun shining or wind blowing. Not to mention the fact that with energy production through wind and solar, as soon as the sun is shining or the wind is blowing, and that energy is being produced through those means, it also has to be used up immediately as well. That's how it works. You can't, unless you have a battery to store all that excess energy, which we don't have the, you know, technology quite yet to be able to store all this uh, energy, even if it is produced. But not to mention the fact that, you know, having all these batteries is not all that great for the environment either, given the fact that we have to mine so much of these minerals from the ground like by the way there was a great recent episode on the joe rogan podcast where he had a he had a guest talking about cobalt mining cobalt is a mineral that's used in batteries specifically phone batteries but more so in electric vehicles uh, It uses like a thousand times more weight wise in, in, in an electric car battery than it does in a phone battery so you know you need a lot of this cobalt to have electric vehicles going around. Yet, when you look at the conditions for the mining, first of all, it's not great for the environment, fine, but it's also not great for the people who are doing this mining. So according to this podcast, the majority of the mining for cobalt happens in Africa, in Congo specifically, and these are the worst conditions for humans to be working in. They're calling these artisanal mines, and all it is is just people like mining with hammers. There's no equipment being used. It's hundreds of thousands of people just hammering away at the earth to mine out some cobalt so that we in the first world can enjoy phones and electric vehicles, not to mention all the child labor, tens of thousands of kids working in these artisanal mines. Is this what we want to promote in order to escape a climate catastrophe? Most people would say no, and I think so as well. Anyway, I'm going to finish off the podcast there. Don't want to ramble too much today. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for all the support you've given me so far. Please sign up to the Substack and share it with friends. With all that said, have a great week. Stay active. Be grateful. Jmart out.